Let me pray for us as we apply God's word, as he applies it to our lives. Father in heaven, we, we feel the weight, the horror of, of the sins of, of these kings. And yet, Lord, I pray that you would, would make this more than a mere history lesson for us, but that you would apply this truth to our own hearts. That we would hold up the mirror of your word to see our own sin and rebellion against you. Lord, where we, are, where we have questions about the, the truthfulness of your word, Lord, show us your truth, your power. Lord, where we have doubts about your love and your faithfulness, show us your mercy and grace. Apply your gospel, your gospel of forgiveness to our hearts. Lord, we come praying in the name of Jesus, who is our King. Amen. Now, we claim we want the truth, but often the truth is ugly. So it's something we we try and avoid. And I don't just mean merely in those those instances where you feel like you're going to hurt somebody's feelings. So you have to just distort the truth a little. Or, or as a supervisor, maybe you have to, to apply a, a correction. Or as a parent, a teacher, apply correction to others, and it's, it's difficult. I mean, even in the, the bigger categories, if you were to stop and, and consider your life, how you've gotten here, would you, would you be happy with the description that was given? Because think of the epitaph that's given to each of these kings. Each of the kings of Israel. What is it? He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And that's a terrible thing to have written on your tombstone. I mean, that's, that, that's not the thing you want to be remembered for. But, but as we go, and you, you'll see it, it just, it just keeps getting worse as the, the chapter goes on. Every one of the kings of Israel has that applied to their lives. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Because the truth is, is cruel. I mean, here, in, in, in this chapter, in just a few verses just a little more than, than one chapter in the Bible. We have seven kings, three dynasties. It's chaos. And imagine being the reporter on the scene, having to try and explain each of these things as the, the world just descends into chaos and wondering, wondering, where is God? Is there any good news here? And so let's, let's look. Let's look at these succession of kings to see the, the, the truth applied to them, but more than that, to ask God to apply the truth of his word to us. So we are first introduced to the second king of Israel, Nadab. He's the son of Jeroboam. But the description given to him is there in verse 26 of chapter 15. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, walking in the ways of his father and in his sin, which he had caused Israel to commit. He's daddy's boy. He's just like dad. He's walking in his father's footsteps, but these are footsteps of sin and evil. He is then killed. I mean, really the only thing we learn about his reign. Yes, we're told there's another book out there. If you really want to go and read about what roads he fixed and what walls he built and and what cities he fortified and what battles he participated in, yeah, you can go read that in the other book. But what's most important, the only truth you actually need to know, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord and he died. That's it. That's, that's all you need to know about Nadab. Because really all we're introduced to is, is the fact that Bahasha, the, uh, uh, another man from, from Issachar, another Israelite, a man under the rule of this king, comes and strikes him down so that he can become king. And then worse, Bahasha, the, 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 the usurper to the throne, then goes and kills all of, all of Nadab's relatives. 
He destroys the entire family. There will be no possibility of the, the reign or the dynasty of Jeroboam and Nadab. It is done here. The family is destroyed. So the evil dynasty removed. An opportunity of hope, perhaps, for Israel. But Basha, what do we learn of him? Well, it's there in verse 34 of chapter 15. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord walking in the ways of Jeroboam and in his sin which he had caused Israel to commit. It's the exact same description, except there's no family connection. He's just like those other kings, doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so we see that his family will too be destroyed. It's, it's horrific, the words there of verse 4 in chapter 16, that his family, the, the bodies of, of his family will be will be chewed up by dogs in the street and birds in the fields. And yes, there are other things surely that, that he did, but, but we have the, the clarity of verse 7. Look there in chapter 16. Moreover, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Jehu, son of Hanani, to Baasha and his house, because, because of all the evil he had done in the eyes of the Lord, provoking him into the anger by the things he did, and becoming like the house of Jeroboam. So he's destroyed because of his sin. But, but, but then look at that last phrase. And I know I, I, we're moving quickly through these kings, but, but, if, but if we stopped and, and thought about that last phrase, part of the reason that he is punished is because he destroyed Jeroboam's house. But you might think, but wait, wasn't he supposed to destroy Jeroboam's house? Did, hadn't God told us that because of Jeroboam's sin that, that his kingdom would end? Well, yes, except that what is Baasha's motivation? It's not a, he's not, he doesn't come as a holy man to bring cleansing to the people of God. He doesn't come as, as the agent of God in moral righteousness to say, no, you have turned from God, let's turn back. No, what is he doing? He's just claiming the kingdom for himself. If I kill the king, then you know who they're going to make king next. So the destruction is, is purely selfish. And you, and you might feel the tension, but, but, if, but if God wanted this to happen, then how can God get mad at Basha for doing it? You might feel that tension that, that, it, that is he responsible for his own actions. But, but on one hand, the, the tension, it, it evaporates completely because it was a, the, the, the choice of Basha, the selfish choice that God chose to use. But really, that, that, tension, that tension goes throughout all of Scripture. God is showing us that he will take even the evil actions of men and use them for his good. And so where is God? God is here. He is acting even through the sins of, of his people. And that's actually the way the, the gospel itself, the good news of what Jesus did for us, that's the way the gospel is announced to us. We can, we can turn to Acts chapter 2 in the New Testament. We find after the, the resurrection of Jesus, his ascension in heaven, Peter preaches a, a gospel message in Acts chapter 2. He describes the, the fulfillment of God's prophecy that today, today is the day when God is pouring out his spirit on the church. And then he describes the gospel. He describes the history of who Jesus is. This is in Acts chapter 2. In verse 22, Peter preaches, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. 
So on the one hand, this is God's plan coming to fulfillment. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. God's purpose and your sin doesn't absolve the, the, the people of Israel for, their, for, their, for killing Jesus. It, they're described by Peter as wicked men. But do you see what God is doing? God is at work even in the wicked actions of people to fulfill his promises and plans. And so, so Peter's sermon, thankfully, doesn't end there with wicked men winning as if nailing Jesus to the cross brought victory to them. No, Peter continues in the very next verse in Acts chapter 2, where, we, where we, Jesus is, has been nailed to the cross, and then we read, But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. You see, God is at work, overcoming the sin of men, using even the sin of men for his gospel purposes. And so we can ask that question, where is God? He's here. And there in the, in, the, in the description of Baasha, it's most clear to us. It's most clear in this chapter. Because between the introduction of Baasha and the destruction of Baasha, what do we have? We have a prophet who stands to speak the word of God. We have Jehu, son of Hanani. This is back in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 1. Coming and, and, and describing that because of your sin, God is bringing judgment but, but do you hear what I'm telling you? I'm telling you that the, the good news in this passage is in the judgment. Okay, now that, that seems counterintuitive. That can't be the right answer. That what, what is God doing? He's destroying sin. Now, I, some of you know that I, I play in a recreational ice hockey league. And so my teammates love it when the pastor gets a penalty. And usually it's accidental because I'm a little bit slower, and so somebody gets tripped. Sometimes it's intentional. I get beat, and so, you know, you're just going to drag the guy down, and you take the penalty. You take one for the team because you got beat. But, but in, in, in my most recent game, my teammates loved it because I didn't just get a two-minute, a normal penalty. I got a four-minute game misconduct penalty. <laughs> the pastor. And, 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 and in my defense, what, what happened is the, 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 the evil player from the other team punched my goaltender in the head. Okay, now you might know hockey is a violent game, but, but even you understand that you can't punch a goaltender in the head. And so as a defenseman, it's my job to make sure nobody, I get between this evil player and my goaltender. And, well, it's, it's on ice, so it's slippery. So we end up, <laughs> we end up in kind of one swift motion together on the ice. His helmet's off, my hand's in his face, and we both go to the penalty box, despite my protests that I was merely defending my goaltender. Now, my teammates loved it because when we get back into the locker room, the pastor had the most penalty minutes. And so they're, they're giving it to me, and one of them, he, he says, yeah, I turn around, and there's Kevin bringing some Old Testament wrath. <laughs> and it got that same reaction in the locker room. And so we might want to say, well, what well, is this? Is this just something we can, we can kind of push aside? Like, it's just Old Testament wrath. And so let's skip ahead to the nicer parts of the Bible. You know, the parts where, where Jesus picks up children in his arms. The, the description we sang in that hymn of, of Jesus, even in our old age, carrying us like a shepherd carries land. Why can't we just turn to the happy parts of Scripture? 
See, because the wrath of God we, isn't, isn't merely an Old Testament wrath. You heard me describe it. The wrath of God is a New Testament wrath. But, but what has God done? He sent Jesus to take the wrath for us. And actually, you and I are desperate for that kind of wrath. Because without it, it means not just jerks who punch goaltenders in the head are going to get away with it. It means take something serious in your life. I mean, that's trivial. It's a game. Take the worst things that have ever happened to you at the hand of someone who has harmed you or someone you love. Without a God of wrath, that goes unpunished, undealt with. But don't you see what, what this passage is telling us? Nothing is beyond the eyes of the Lord. He sees it all. When the king does evil, it is evil in the eyes of the Lord. It's not merely describing that, well, according to God, it's evil. Yes, according to God, it's evil. But it means God is seeing it. God will not ignore that which has gone wrong. And so you and I are desperate for a God of wrath, a God who will punish sin. But we need God to deal with the sin in our own lives. And so we see the failures of these kings. But as chapter 16 continues, it, it just continues to get worse. Let's, let's pick it up there in verse 8, and I'm going to read through the end of the chapter. And, and in essence, I just want you to feel the, the waves of, of, of destruction crashing upon us, the weight of the, the horror of these men, these men who were appointed to be kings, to lead the people of God. So let's read from 1 Kings 16, starting at verse 8. In the 26th year of Asa, king of Judah, Elah, son of Basha, became king of Israel, and he reigned in Tirzah two years. Zimri, one of his officials, who had command of half his chariots, plotted against him. Elah was in Tirzah at the time, getting drunk in the home of Arza, the man in charge of the palace. Zimri came in, struck him down, and killed him in the 27th year of Asa, king of Judah. Then he succeeded him as king. As soon as he began to reign and was seated on the throne, he killed off Asha's whole family. He did not spare a single male, whether relative or friend. So Zimri destroyed the whole family of Asha in accordance with the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord spoken against Baasha through the prophet Jehu. Because of all the sins of Baasha and his son Elah had committed and had caused Israel to commit, so that they provoked the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger by their worthless idols. As for the other events of Elah's reign and all he did, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Israel? In the 27th year of Asa, king of Judah, Zimri reigned in Tirzah seven days. The army was encamped near Gibbethon, a Philistine town. When the Israelites in the camp heard that Zimri had plotted against the king and murdered him, they proclaimed Omri, the commander of the army, king over Israel, that very day there in the camp. Then Omri and all the Israelites with him withdrew from Gibbethon and laid siege to when Zimri saw that the city was taken, he went into the citadel of the royal palace and set the palace on fire around him. So he died because of the sins he had committed, doing evil in the eyes of the Lord and walking in the ways of Jeroboam and in the sin he had committed and had caused Israel to commit. As for the other events of Zimri's reign and the rebellion he carried out, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Israel? Then the people of Israel split into two factions— Half supported Tizni, Tibni, son of Ganath, for king, and the other half supported Omri. But Omri's followers proved stronger than those of Tibni, son of Ganath. So Tibni died, and Omri became king. In the 31st year of Asa, king of Judah, Omri became king of Israel, and he reigned 12 years, six of them in Tirzah. 
He bought the hill of Samaria from Shemer for two talents of silver and built a city on the hill, calling it Samaria, after Shemer, the name of the former owner of the hill. But Omri did evil in the eyes of the Lord and sinned more than all those before him. He walked in all the ways of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and in his sin which he had caused Israel to commit so that they provoked the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger by their worthless idols. As for the other events of Omri's reign, what he did and the things he achieved, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Israel? Omri rested with his fathers and was buried in Samaria. And Ahab, his son, succeeded him as king. In the 28th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel, and he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal and, that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than did all the kings of Israel before him. In Ahab's time, Hile of Bethel rebuilt Jericho. He laid its foundations at the cost of his firstborn son, Abiram, and he set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Segub, in accordance with the word of the Lord spoken by Joshua, son of Nun. It's a horrific chapter. It just keeps getting worse. Elah, the, the son of Baasha, what's he doing? What do we know about him? He has merely a two-year reign, which, which could be as, as short as just a few months. If he reigned even just from November through March, that would count as the parts of two years. And so the description would be he, he reigned for two years. It, it, it's, it's a short reign, but, but what do we know about him? What is he doing? What is Elah doing? He's drunk in the house of Arza, the man in charge of the palace. But what should he be doing? Well, he should be, if we, if we jump down and figure out, well, where is his army? Well, we find out in verse 15, his army is not there in Tirzah. His army is fighting the Philistines. And the Philistines are the bad guys, because you know at least one Philistine's name, the really tall one, Goliath. They are the enemies of the people of God. But, but instead of leading his army, what is Elah doing? He's back at the frat house. He is not a, a king. He is chasing after worthless idols, is what we're told in verse 13. He's following in the footsteps of his father, following in the sins of Jeroboam. He is drunk and distracted. And yes, the scriptures are full of, of warnings against drunkenness. But, but perhaps for us, this distraction, this, this being in the wrong place, not doing what you're supposed to be doing, sort of wasting his life. Is, is a, it could be a problem for us. Now, now, some of you may have subscriptions to, this, to Netflix, the streaming service, and in my house, we wish we had a subscription because our grandparents canceled it, and so now what are we going to do? But, but Netflix lets you basically watch, choose an endless selection of, of television shows, and then it just keeps playing and playing and playing. And, and earlier this year, Netflix's CEO was asked to, to speak about his competitors, 
And so we might have thought he would speak about HBO or CBS or one of the, the other streaming services out there, but, but, but what does Netflix consider their chief competitor? Sleep. Sleep. That's the biggest thing working against them is the fact that you will eventually get so tired that you will fall asleep. Because they see we are willing to be endlessly distracted. I mean, earlier this year when, when you went outside of your house and you put on those glasses and you looked up at the, the eclipse, Netflix's, Netflix's user, use, usage dropped dramatically, so much so that they, they kind of poked fun at themselves for it. They sent out a tweet that said, that said, why would you go outside to watch a giant rock float in front of a, a giant ball of gas when I have been here for you all along? I mean, tongue-in-cheek, they recognize. They're not competing against the other, entertainment, the other entertainment factors in your life. They're competing against anything and everything else that might give your life some sort of meaning. And so maybe for some of us, the, the warnings of Elah aren't, aren't merely about drunkenness and foolishness, but about the distractions that we're willing to, to place in front of ourselves. Maybe you should, you should turn it off and read a book or learn a foreign language so you can minister to, to international students. Maybe God is calling you to, to some greater ministry rather than distraction. Because what happens to Elah? Zimri sneaks in and kills him. And, and Zimri's given almost so little credit that like, well, how hard would it be to go kill a drunk king laying around with a bunch of other drunks while the army is out of town? And, and Zimri's kingdom, Zimri's kingdom isn't, 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 isn't measured in months or years. What's it measured in? Days. Seven days Zimri reigns as king. And then the kingdom crumbles around him when Amri, who has the power of the armies, decides, well, one good coup deserves another. Now's an easy time to make myself king. And so he, he, he comes and Zimri sets the palace on fire and burns himself to death in the palace. And yet, what is the description we are given of him, of Zimri? Again, in verse 19, he died because of the sins he, have, he had committed, doing evil in the eyes of the Lord and walking in the ways of Jeroboam and in the sin he had committed and it caused Israel to commit. His reign was only seven days. I mean, can't we give the guy, give him a little bit of a break? I mean, you expect him to turn around these, the, this terrible kingdom in just seven days? I mean, really, shouldn't we be a little easier on poor Zimri? But don't you see, God is, God is one looking at his heart. But more than that, I, I think this passage wants us to take seriously the dangers of idolatry so that even if you reign for only seven days, what should you be doing against idolatry? Destroying it. And you might not have power to change the, the, the policies of an entire kingdom like Zimri, although it doesn't appear he really even had that power. But you have the power to change the idolatry in your own life. In just seven days, you have the power to get serious about the things that, that draw your attention away from God. Are you that serious? And then after Zimri, we find Amri. Amri, the, the powerful king. You actually don't need to, to 
don't even need the words of Scripture to know that Omri was a powerful king. If you went in, and if you could read a, a Syrian cuneiform, you could, you could read of, of his conquest. If you, if you went to, to Moab, you would see his name, the House of Omri. It's a dynasty that lasts for a century. He is a powerful king, and yet what do we know about him? His, his kingdom is crunched into these few verses. Yes, he became king by besieging Zimri. Zimri killed himself. He had to wait out Tibni, but he knew he was going to be, so that in verse 22, Tibni died. Omri became king. And then all that we know about him, despite the fact that he is well-known in the ancient world, is that he bought the hill of Samaria, that he made a new capital. Because what do we find out about Omri? Well, actually, he's a man who wins a pretty big award here. Look at verse 25. Omri wins the award for worst human ever. Now, the good news is he won't keep this award very long because his son is going gonna, is gonna to one-up him and not only take his father's, his father's trophy, but make an even bigger one, the worster human ever. Okay, that's not really a word. But you understand, this, this chapter is just throwing it at us. He is, Omri did more evil in the eyes of the Lord and sinned more than all those before him. He walked in the ways of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and in his sin which he had caused Israel to commit, so that they provoked the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger by their worthless lives. And so everything else he did is just, again, dumped in those annals of the kings of Israel. If you want to know about that, you can go read it. Well, you can't. They've lost it. But it's, it's unimportant, is what the scriptures are telling us, because what is most important, it's this description that he did evil. And then we have the, the son of Omri. Ahab, evil king Ahab, the horrible Ahab, Ahab who is worse than his father, Ahab who, who by the, probably the dealings of his father is married to, to Jezebel, this, this princess from Sidon. He, he brings the worship of Baal into the kingdom. He builds a temple for a foreign god in the capital city. And you notice just how many times Baal's name was mentioned. And again, things are so bad that, that Ahab completely disregards God's word. Well, for hundreds of years, the people have known that the, the city of Jericho, the one that Joshua came in, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, they knocked the city down and God says, do not rebuild it. But Ahab doesn't care. And so he lets Hile of Bethel rebuild the city. So much so that Ahab Ahab is, is the worst king to come. We, and, and, and this isn't coming in the like, well, there were some good kings and some bad kings. No, this is, there are all bad kings of Israel. We line them up, and yet, in verse 33, we read that Ahab did more to anger the Lord than all the kings of Israel before him. Take all of their evil, total it up, and Ahab can still win. See, and, and here, maybe this is the one place that we're okay with God's judgment. If God's judgment falls against Ahab and Omri, I mean, they're, they're in the category of worst humans ever. And so you, we could throw in some, some names throughout history into that list, and we're okay to like keep, keep the line of wrath about here. So that, yeah, the worst people ever, they deserve God's wrath, but the rest of us, you know, the rest of us, you know, 
good people like you and me. We don't deserve God's punishment. But don't you see what this passage wants us to do? Is, is it, wants, it wants us to see that, yes, you and I, thankfully, I, Ahab is worse than you are. I, I can say that pretty confidently because w- w- he gets this description here. He's the worst human to ever come. No one, no one before him was, was this evil. But what God wants us to do is see that, that his judgment comes not merely against the most evil, but those that caused the sins of Israel. It's a judgment against all of the people. And so where does God, where does God put that line of wrath? Yes, it, it includes the worst of all people, but it includes all of us. All of us fall under God's wrath. But here in this, in this chapter, we still see the grace and the mercy of God. God sees what is taking place. And God deals with the sin. Throughout this chapter, we hear those reminders that, that this happened according to the word of the Lord. See, this, this passage was meant to be and is meant to be a comfort to us. A comfort because no matter what the circumstances of life look, no matter how much evil you can measure around you, God has not abandoned you. God has not turned his back on you. God sees you in your need. And more than that, God has has provided a king. Because this chapter leaves us with, with the longing for one who is greater. And so we might be able to summarize this chapter using the, the description of an unlikely theologian, Homer Simpson. I know Homer Simpson is the, the bumbling idiot of a character, of a father, on the long-running cartoon show, The Simpsons, the irreverent cartoon. And so, so when, he, when he picks up a Bible and he reads it, he offers a summary of it to, to his family. All right, so this is Homer's summary. All these people are a mess, except this one guy. That's pretty good theology. All of these people, all of these people are a mess, except one guy. Now, we need to press the theology further than the the writers of The Simpsons, and we need to identify the one guy, Jesus the true king, the one who died on the cross. Jesus, the one who bears the wrath of God. Jesus, the one who reigns in righteousness. Jesus, the one who deserves our praise. And so when you hear these descriptions of wrath, do you realize your sin? Do you find forgiveness in Jesus who is for us, the true king of kings? Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the harsh honesty of your word. That it shows us a people who are a mess. Because it shows us our own hearts. Lord, I pray that as we consider the truth of your word, that we would turn from our foolish sin, we would turn from from our idols, and we would turn to worship Jesus as the true and living King. Lord, I pray that even with the, the weight of our sin, the the horror of judgment, Lord, that we would see the depth of your mercy and grace. Lord, where we feel convicted today, where we feel guilt and shame, 
Lord, use that by the power of your Spirit to change us. Leave us not in our guilt, but, but let us turn from it to Jesus, putting our trust in him. Lord, we ask you to transform us as individuals, as families, as a church, that we might serve you in proclaiming the grace that is ours through Jesus Christ. So, Father in heaven, we pray in the name of Jesus, who is our King. Amen.